Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Not much golf being played this time of year. When you watch the Golf Channel, you see a lot of great highlights from the tournaments this past year. But what we do have on TV, and my wife reminds me every day, is a lot of football. She always says to me, is football over yet? I go, yeah, it'll be over at midnight. Starts at 8 or 9 in the morning and goes all day. And there I am, planted, watching whatever game is on. Boy, that was a great finish with the Seattle Seahawks-San Francisco 49er game. That was incredible. But what we have coming up tomorrow, uh, I make no excuses about it. I am a huge Oregon Duck fan. I went to school there, played college golf there. And I love my Ducks. They are teeing it up, so to speak, in the Rose Bowl tomorrow against a very tough Wisconsin Badger team. Because of my my good friend Andy North, I've always followed Wisconsin, know their program well. And Jonathan Taylor, the running back, is is a stud. But Oregon's got their own studs on the side on the offensive side as well. Keep your eye on Justin Herbert, the great quarterback, and also keep your eye on the defensive end, a freshman, true freshman, Kayvon Thibodeau, number five for the University of Oregon defensive team. So if you're watching the Rose Bowl. Keep your eye on the Ducks, and I'm really glad that we had a chance to preview the upcoming Rose Bowl with former quarterback and good friend of mine, Jeff Lockie. He uh, had a great career at the University of Oregon, backed up some great quarterbacks, including the Heisman Trophy winner Marcus Mariota. So Jeff joins me to break down the game and talk a little bit about uh, what is going to happen at the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. Just walking in seems simple enough Besides all the noise, it doesn't seem so tough So why am I nervous? Why am I scared? I can't stop thinking it's a jungle in here How was your Christmas? It was good, man. Just uh, out here with the family in the Bay Area Trying to squeeze in some golf when I can So nothing to complain about You're playing this afternoon, from what I understand that's right. This afternoon, then I gotta make sure the old man can play tomorrow and Saturday. So when you when you grew up in in Danville, California, did you play a lot of golf along with uh, other sports? I actually didn't. I, I my my parents always played, and my dad tried to get me to play, but I was too busy wanting to play every other sport and baseball and basketball and football and. Kind of only really played on holidays and, and things to kind of make my parents happy. But then I got older and completely caught the bug and regret all the times I passed up the chance to play golf as a kid. So yeah. I'm making up for it now. It, it's so funny because obviously I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, came from a golf family and was playing golf. I was caddying before I was playing. And when I went to high school, I played basketball in high school and played on the golf team. And all my friends, football players, basketball players, used to just pick on me and say, ah, you play golf. (laughs) You know, you're a wuss. There's really nothing can be gained about playing on the golf team. But I love the the solidarity or the personal nature of the game of golf where I could basically just depend on myself. Now, you, you obviously played a bunch of sports and you're a star quarterback in high school. You really, you couldn't do it on your own. You had to have teammates. That, and that's what I liked about golf. It was all me. Yep. 
I always wonder what my, you know, what would it be like playing a sport where you are by yourself and there's really no, uh, no excuses when the performance doesn't, you know, when things don't come through or you don't win the tournament or things don't go well, you really can't. <laughs> there's no finger pointing or team. It's just you, you know, you didn't, you weren't up to the task that day. And I always thought that was an interesting dynamic between you uh, as an athlete and a competitor. Now, when you, you went uh, from, from being a high school star and you were recruited to the University of Oregon, where you competed for four years and uh, you played for you played for Chip Kelly and I believe uh, Coach Mark Helfrich, correct? Were those your two coaches? That's right. Chip Kelly left University of Oregon, went to UCLA, and he's been struggling to find success. What what was the magic about Chip as a coach, especially the offensive genius that that he is? Yeah, I think people forget what college. Uh, when I got to Oregon in 2012, I was there for Chip's last year, so kind of the back half of his college football run in terms of dominance. But I think people forget what Chip did for the game. I think if you look at, it's one of those things, if you look at college football the years before Chip, and if you look at it after Chip, they're totally different. The idea of no huddle offense, run as many plays as we can, fast, 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 that that really didn't exist until Chip came along. Um, things like the the silly cards that people hold up on the sidelines. And now I think he's at every game. Uh, <laughs> this credit, I mean, he was doing, he was so far ahead, Peter, in terms of what he thought would work in college and even in the NFL. But he was doing things, um, practicing in the morning, um, doing walkthroughs on Thursday, and then doing a high pace practice on Friday. Uh, he was, you know, valuing sleep over, you know, for recovery. So he was, I think, so far ahead of everyone that, but he was running that offense at Oregon and that speed and the way we practiced, we were just, I mean, we were moving just so much quicker and ahead and people couldn't keep up. Did the uniforms, did the Nike flashy uniforms, because I think the U, uh, University of Oregon really set that standard with the cool uniforms. Did that attract you at all or was it, uh, was it, what was it about the program or the school that brought you to Oregon? Well, I think that was, I mean, I wouldn't say the uniforms attracted me, but I'm sure they did. Maybe some of my teammates, but, uh, I think Nike's influence and just being able to say this is the vision of the program and Nike is willing to support, you know, Bilotti's and Chip's vision to take it wherever they wanted. So huge support for them, which was great to have as a program. And I think the biggest thing I enjoyed was I loved the coaching staff and I loved the Eugene town. I loved uh, Coach Mark Helfrich, who was the quarterback coach at the time, who ended up being our head coach. I really liked the community feel of Eugene. It was a small town. And I really liked that everyone just supported the team, you know, whether it be through academics or the team, you know, everyone kind of was on board with each other where some visits to other schools were maybe it's a bigger town or different value of the program or no, and no, you know, no stability. You didn't get that same type of, you know, support group. Mark Helfrich now is the offensive coordinator with the uh, Chicago Bears, and I, I'm sure you've stayed in touch with them. I have, and uh, it's really glad. To, I'm really glad to see him still coaching because not only is he a great individual, but he's a very creative, offensive mind. When when you were at Oregon, you played with uh, two incredible quarterbacks, Vernon Adams, who transferred in from Eastern Washington uh, University, but but most importantly, and this young man is still a close friend of yours. Marcus Mariota, who won the Heisman Trophy uh, his junior year at the University of Oregon. What, what do you remember mostly about uh, about Mariota and about Vernon? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's familiar with the, the type of success those players had. I think with Vernon coming in uh, towards the end of my career, played quarterback in such a fun, and uh, he was just a, kind of a playmaker, and he would go out there and 
he had a real limited time in the offense. Um, and he was able to improvise and scramble and just really make, you know, move the ball and score uh, in a, and I would say more unconventional way, but in a really just, you know, he could read the defense and move and make plays and see where players are going and improvise and see where the, you know, the defense is going kind of before they would. So really fun to watch, uh, really exciting and obviously had a lot of success and he's doing, you know, really well in Canada right now. And obviously Marcus playing for three, you know, three years, being in the same system for four years, definitely had a really firm understanding of what Helfrich wanted to do. And obviously he didn't, couldn't execute any better. The ultimate competitor was in the film room, could run, could throw, was smart, could read the defense, was a leader. Everyone loved him, picked up his teammates. I mean, everything you hear about Marcus and you read about, I would say it's even better when you meet him. So being so close with him and just being able to learn from him, we had a really good run, you know, because I was in Sackett for three years. And obviously with him playing at a Heisen level, there was no controversy. So yeah. Um, we had a really, we had a really good relationship and I was able to, um, be on the headset and then see, you know, get certain information and always connect with him, you know, after drives and he just defied what you could do at that position and really was a great leader for the team and took us to, yeah, Rose Bowl victory and a chance at a national championship, which, uh, we were within reach, so um, he was, you know, the best of the best, and I think everyone knows that in Morgan. He was, he was drafted, uh, he and Jameis Winston were basically tied at the hip, who was going to go one or two in the draft, uh, I believe it was uh, 2015 or 16, I can't remember, but he went number two to the Tennessee Titans, and I instantly became a Titans fan, and you and I talk about the Titans, and now that Mariota is backing up Ryan Tannehill, which distresses me to no end. I'm I'm extremely upset about that because I think the world of Marcus not only as a person, but uh, he's a Heisman Trophy winner. The guy's got to be starting for for some NFL team, in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to free agency this year uh, at the end of this season because I'm hoping that somebody picks him up and he signs a big deal and, and kind of like Ryan Tannehill gets a second chance at leading a team. Absolutely. I actually just returned back from Nashville a couple of days ago, but I think he's going to be a free agent. And I think it's, you know, there's some, there's 30, a lot of teams out there, 30 teams that all, uh, need, you know, high performance at the quarterback position. And I think we all agree that he can definitely be that at a very, very high level in the NFL and has proved that even at Tennessee with a lot of the changes they've had over the past five years with a lot of coaches coming in and out. So I think the right fit um, with the right staff that will support him. I think I think he's gonna be really successful. And he's still young. He's still uh, he's still a baby. So he's got plenty <laughs> of years. Um, I know people say like he's been around forever. He's in his mid twenties. There's still a lot of football left, and I think he's gonna play at a high level for a long time. But the other thing that I think is so important in the world of sports, and you know better than I, being in so many locker rooms, it's it's hard to coach character. And when you get a high character player like Marcus Mariota in your locker room and as you said he's such a leader he's quiet but he leads by example he's not he doesn't jump on the top of the bus and start screaming he's the kind of guy that just says hey look follow my lead I'm gonna I'm gonna take us to where we need to go I'm gonna uh, we're gonna win a bunch of games okay let's talk a little bit about the Rose Bowl upcoming Oregon and Wisconsin Obviously, both of our opinions are going to be extremely biased because we're both Oregon Ducks, but I'm looking forward to that game. I think the game, uh, the Rose Bowl, could be kind of a replay of uh, the Pac-12 championship game where Oregon beat Utah. Two uh, Utah and and Wisconsin are kind of similar. Very similar. I think it was a very great preparation for this game, and being an Oregon fan, as you know, Peter, we've had this matchup before, 
in the past decade, um, going back, you know, when Chip was there and playing Wisconsin. But, yep, big contrast of, of styles as far as what Wisconsin's going to try to do and kind of how Oregon's going to try to counter that. So um, it's always good to see in the road full kind of the Big, big Ten style play kind of meet the Pac-12 um, style play. I think Oregon's defense surprised me so much. You came, you came to one or two games – we went to one or two games this year up in Eugene. I can't remember which, but uh, we talked a little bit about the defense. To see Oregon play that kind of defense is, is quite a change for uh, what people think of Oregon being the real offensive-minded team. Right, and I think uh, that's been definitely one of the biggest things I know Mario has emphasized and has really come through this year. I think I was kind of playing around and looking at some stats the other day, and Oregon is top 10 in defense, but they're not even in the top maybe 25 or 30 of offense, which is probably – the first time it's been that way for a while, but their defense has really been setting the tone and saving them. You know, maybe when the offense isn't clicking or the offense maybe is off to a slow start, the, the defense has just been picking them up with stopping the run, getting turnovers, um, and just really been doing a good job and a really consistent force um, all year. And obviously, Wisconsin, uh, we know what type of defense they're going to bring. They're also a top 10 defense. So it should be actually a little different than previous matchups in the past, where a big offensive performance with Russell Wilson and such um, and kind of dialing it into a real, it's going to be a, definitely a tough part of those games. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I love Herbert. I love C.J. Verdell in the backfield for Oregon, but I have to tell you, I love to watch Jonathan Taylor, the running back for Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, that guy's a beast. That guy's good. Yep, two-time two-time Doak Walker Award winner, back-to-back. Um, I think Wisconsin knows their their brand of football and their brand of football is going to be we're going to give the ball to Jonathan Taylor. So they're going to keep giving it to him for as long as they possibly can until you make them not give it to him. So I think starting out and stopping, you know, you're never going to stop him. You know, I think he's got over 6,000 career yards. You're never going to stop him. It's just a matter of containing him and not letting him control the game. Because if he controls the game, you'll find yourself with limiting possessions. Um, <laughs> and they'll, just, yeah. they'll control that ball and you'll find yourself in a place you don't want to be. Or am I going to see you in Los Angeles next week? Are you uh, going to be there? I'm not going to be there. we got all the family, the grandkids and kids coming here to Florida for just five days, six days. So, unfortunately, I'm going to have to miss it. I'm I'm going the family route. It's okay. I'll give you the hall pass. That's fair. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, cheer, I'll cheer loud and hard for you. Please do. Make sure you bring home a, a victory for us. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Fans are fired up and making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Srixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker, it was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball, and believe me, When you lose sight of the ball in flight and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the pro-ams 
and eventually I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. Well, at holiday time, our family gets together down here in Florida with us. They're spread all over the country. And my daughter, Amy, who's an excellent singer, you've probably heard her sing before. I love to play guitar, so she and I lock ourselves uh, in my den and we just jam. And she sings beautifully. So I thought I'd put on one of the songs that we did. It's by Patty Griffin called The Moon Song, and I hope you enjoy it. Followed your road till the sky ran out. I followed your love till love was in doubt. I followed your love till it never really was at all. Feeling stupid and hollow now, the moon's gonna follow me home. Waiting for you till the snow fell down over my skin like a thin nightgown waited for you but you never came around at all waited for you till they pulled the plug bartender emptied out his big tip jug swept all the floors and vacuumed the rugs and went home I can swallow now the moon's gonna follow me home Time go easy on me tonight I'm one of the lost sheep alright Take what you must Take what you must of what I've lost as I have a role. Let the moon follow me home. I followed your story, I followed your tale I followed you straight through the doors of your jail cell too I followed your voice in the darkness off Wind came through and carried it off I followed your love 
never really was at all. Drink all I can swallow, now the moon's gonna follow me home. Drink all I can swallow, now the moon's gonna follow me home. All I can swallow now the moon's gonna follow me home. A few episodes ago, I talked about taking CBD oil in hopes of helping cure my stiffness and pain in my joints. I've had my left hip replaced twice and my right knee replaced just once thankfully, and I've had some back surgeries and shoulder surgeries. I'm, I'm no different than anybody else that's had surgery and subsequent stiffness and pain. So I kind of got into this a little bit. I've never been a dope smoker. I've never been a recreational drug kind of guy. I'm not really that much of a drinker, but I was suffering the same stiffness and ills as any other 65-year-old. So I received some CBD oil I started taking it, and I am happy to report I'm still taking it, and it works for me. I feel great. So I am going to continue to take it because it seems to work for me. So if you're suffering, maybe give it a try. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that. You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know I think it's always important to look back on your year, no matter what you do, when I was a PJ Tour player and a Champions Tour player, I would always review, look at my performance, and make the goals for the next year. So now that I don't play as much and I do more broadcast, I'm always looking at the stories that are going to pop up in the next year. So looking ahead, some of the things to think about in 2020, top of the list, Tiger Woods, what a year in 2019 for Tiger. He won the Masters, his 15th major championship. Nobody thought that he was going to win another major, including myself, to be very honest. I thought he'd win Again, on the PGA Tour, which he did at the Tour Championship a couple of years ago. Uh, that, was, that was just an incredible emotional win, which I love to see. 
And I loved watching him win the Masters as well. So will he defend his uh, Masters championship? But with his injuries, as we all know, as we get older, we have certain challenges. Tiger's a different player than he used to be. He's obviously not as long. He's still incredibly powerful. But I think he's a better player. I think he understands his body now because of all the surgeries and all the problems he's gone through. And that's what happens when you get older. You have to deal with the injuries. You're not 25 any longer. You can't just bounce right back. So be interesting to watch Tiger in the uh, 2020 at age 44. Another person to watch, Phil Mickelson. He turns 50. How much will Phil play on the Champions Tour? You know he's going to play a lot on the PGA Tour. Phil's trying to complete the career Grand Slam. All he needs is a win at the U.S. Open. And this year, it's back at Wingfoot, the site of probably his best chance. Well, he's finished second six times in the U.S. Open, but I think back to, was it 2005 or 2006, he had a chance, made double on the last hole and lost the U.S. Open. So Phil's turning 50. I think he's going to play on the Champions Tour. He's going to play some selected tournaments, probably the majors, and he's going to dominate. Phil's still got the length. He's got the short game. Phil is still able to compete and win on the PGA Tour. So when he gets out on the Champions Tour, watch out. Jim Furyk also turns 50 in 2020. And in talking to Jim and his caddy, my old caddy, Mike Cowan, or Fluff as we all know him, Jim is looking forward to playing on the Champions Tour. Also, thinking of the Masters, the, the first major of the year, Rory McIlroy has a chance to complete the career Grand Slam with a victory at Augusta. I think one of the interesting topics to watch in 2020 is a topic that's on the PGA Tour agenda every year and has been since I was a rookie in 1977, slow play. Every year we talk about it. Every year somebody complains about this player or that player. It goes all the way back to when I started on the PGA Tour. I don't know if anything can be done. It's unless the the tour decides they're going to actually time all the players and levy some penalties, lay out some some uh, one-shot penalty, two-shot penalty, a heavy fine. I don't know what the answer is, but I think it'll be interesting to watch how these new slow play policies unfold out on the PGA Tour. Two other interesting tournaments that are going to happen in 2020. The Olympics are back. Remember when it burst on the scene back in 2016? I was there doing the broadcast for the Golf Channel and NBC, and I was so excited to be down in Rio doing the Olympics. In a country like Japan, where golf is probably the number one sport and so popular, you know it's just going to be an incredible event. So I'm looking forward to that. And then when we get to the fall, real excited. Who isn't about the Ryder Cup? Going to be at Whistling Straits. Captain Steve Stricker is going to captain the American squad. And it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. It always seems like every year, whether it's the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup, on paper, the United States team seems too strong and just going to win. But They barely won last month at the President's Cup, and we've had a really bad record, or I should say the United States has had a really bad record. I can't say we, especially in the world of television, we're told not to take sides. But in this case, I will. We have really struggled in the Ryder Cup against a very organized and strong Ryder Cup 
group from Europe. So I will be watching and pulling for the United States team when they all descend upon Whistling Straits. You can harness that energy, let it beat your fire, let it take you higher. They may be loud, but they're on your side. So take a deep breath and just give it a ride. Well, that wraps up season one of Jake's Takes. It was quite an educational time for me learning, first of all, what was a podcast and then how to turn on the microphone and record. Uh, I'm not a smart man, so this, this was quite an education for me. It was fun talking with all my guests. It was fun getting feedback from all the listeners. So we are taking a four-week break, and we will be back on February 4th, which is the uh, starting the, the week of the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am. My favorite tournament on the PGA Tour and one of the most important tournaments, I think, on the PGA Tour schedule. But we're not going to leave you hanging. We're going to have little segments between now and February 4th. So check in with us every week. But we'll be back February 4th with guests, more content, and I'll probably be a little better at this. Who knows? Keep your fingers crossed. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?